Well, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we are continuing in our series from the life of David, which has been really rich and enriching. And this morning, I want to preach the favor of God to you. I want to preach the favor of God to you. And you know where I want that favor to go? I want it to go to your inner man. That's where we need to be touched by God. When Isaiah 62 said that Christ would declare the favor of God, he didn't mean it for just to be a mental exercise. He meant it would touch us in our emotions, in our affections, in our inner parts. That's where we need healing. That's where we need encouragement. That's where we need to encounter the living God. God wants to place his glory right here in our hearts. That's the kind of tent that he loves. We've talked about Moses' tabernacle. We've talked about David's tabernacle. But the ultimate tabernacle is right here. That's what happened in, at Pentecost. Is that when the Holy Spirit came down, the power of God, the presence of God, landed on the final tabernacle. That's you and that's me. And that's the tent that God loves the most. Away from our masks and our shields and our personas and our social media feeds, God wants us to feel it right here. He wants his favor to land in our inner being. You know, before we know God or even after we know God, we typically don't give ourselves a good grade when we think about our walk with him. Our mind naturally can go to the negative. Many of us are more in tune with the accuser's voice than the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to go to a place where we believe that God is mostly mad and mostly sad with us. And every once in a while, God's favor peeks through the dark clouds. We may feel that God is mostly mad because of the things that we've done. Failure to walk closely with Him, our anger, our lust, our greed. We can feel that God is mostly sad because of all the things that we aren't doing. We're not praying. We're not reading our Bible. We're not witnessing. We're not giving. We're not serving. And the list goes on. Now, why do we believe that God might be mostly mad and mostly sad? Like, do a gut check and ask in your inner heart, is, do these things feel real to you? Like, yeah, I feel this shadow always on me. And why do we believe that God is mostly mad and sad? Well, of course, because God is holy. He hates sin. And so the question comes, what fellowship does light have with darkness? We see our sins in technicolor. We've let God down. We ask forgiveness, and then we do it all again. We're acutely in touch with our sinfulness, and as a result, we have little confidence about God's love for us, whose throne of grace we are to boldly come to receive help in our time of need. Beloved, this is not the inner life of someone favored by God. It's the Mephibosheth syndrome. I know that sounds like a big word, but that's the name of the guy that we're going to focus on in our story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, do you know what his name means? Terribly, it means to be blown away by shame. Can you imagine having a name like that? Most of us have really wonderful names, Michael and Peter and Daniel or Rebecca and Elizabeth and Deborah, strong, biblical, punchy, confident names. 
But on the inside, we can feel like Mephibosheth. Our inner reality doesn't represent our outer name. And that's why I'm preaching to your inner man today. Not the outer man, but the inner man. Why did Mephibosheth feel so blown away by shame? In verse 1, chapter 9, it says that Mephibosheth was of the house of Saul. That was not a great association. Saul was the one that was defeated. Saul was the one that died in humiliation on the mountain when he went to battle against the Philistines. Saul was the one who was the grandfather of Mephibosheth, and grandfather was insane. He went mad. He was afflicted by spirits. They had to bring in musicians in order to comfort him and to make him feel well. Grandfather was the one who actually went and sought out a medium, a spiritist, in order to seek the counsel of God. Grandfather was supposed to have this amazing legacy of ruling Israel, and instead he went so far astray from God, the Lord had to turn the kingdom over to David. And unfortunately, when grandfather Saul died, he was even beheaded. This is not necessarily the kind of family history that you want the world to know about. Mephibosheth was the house of Saul. We also see that the reason why Mephibosheth felt so much shame is that he was lame in both feet. Earlier in 2 Samuel chapter 4, it talks about how Jonathan, who was his direct father, Saul was the grandfather, had a son who was disabled in both feet. He was five years old when the news of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse picked him up and fled. But it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and could no longer walk. And his name was Mephibosheth. At a young age, just five years old, his nurse dropped him as they were fleeing to get away. As a result, both feet were broken and he became lame. Isn't that how we feel sometimes, dropped in life? Lame. Always needing someone's help. It's not a good feeling. Third reason that we see here is that he was now a father, but he could not play with his son. Verse 12 tells us that Mephibosheth's son was called Micah. And he was a young son. And he would say to dad, come on, let's go play. Let's go play ball. Let's go skate. Sorry, son, I can't play. The worst thing that a dad can feel is depriving his kids of happiness, of being left out of those chapters where they're growing up and you get to create memories. But Mephibosheth could not do that because of his condition. We also see there in chapter 9, verse 4, that he lived in the house of Mehir. It says, Behold, Mephibosheth is in the house of Mehir, the son of Emil in Lodibar. Do you know what Mehir means in Hebrew? It means sold. Like a tossed out item at a garage sale, Mephibosheth was stamped with the feeling of being sold. This is where he lived, in the house of Mehir. Where we live, the house we live in, is where we are our most authentic self, right? We put on our PJs, we watch the shows that we want to watch, We eat whatever we want to eat. We don't worry about what people think. We let our hair down. We don't put on our makeup. 
We don't have to clean up our room. We just get to be our authentic self. And that's why home is such a wonderful, comforting, powerful place. There's no place in the world where you would rather be than be at home. That's why we all love it. Well, Mephibosheth's home was called sold. I'm not wanted. I'm only good for a sale. Then we further read in, chapter, in verse 4 that he lived in Lodibar. And Lodibar means pastureless. What a picture of his inner life. It was dry and a windswept place. Mephibosheth was not in a good mental state. So he's living in this way for 20-some years. He has a son, can't play with him. He's not living in the, in the overglow of his father as king. He's living in the house of Maker in Lodibar. But God begins to stir David. He remembers, David remembers his oath to Jonathan that he would show kindness to his house forever and ever. Earlier in 1 Samuel 20, when Jonathan was still alive and, and they had this amazing covenant relationship, David promised to Jonathan that he would never cut off kindness from his family. And so now David is ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. The promise comes back to his mind. And so he makes a search to see if there's anyone left of Jonathan's family that he might show kindness to them. And that's what we read in verse 1. Make a search to see if there's anyone left of the house of Saul. And lo and behold, after a search is made, it's Mephibosheth that's found. So David calls him, and Mephibosheth stands before the king, and his body language tells you everything that you need to know. Verse 8, it says, Mephibosheth prostrated himself before David and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm a dead dog. He lived in fear, had a terrible self-image. He was racked with the shame of his past, and he had no standing in his own eyes, let alone royalty. He saw himself as a dead dog. A dog is one of the most derogatory things that you could say about someone or yourself. When evil Queen Jezebel was judged by God and left to die in the square, Jezebel was married to King Ahab, is one of the worst periods of history in the nation of Israel. They completely went aside to worship Baal. And the reason why the nation went so far astray was in large part due to Queen Jezebel's influence. Of course, we know Elijah defeated them. There was a chase after Elijah's life. But God gave a judgment sentence on Jezebel, saying that the dogs would come and lick her blood. And that prophecy was fulfilled. In 2 Kings chapter 9, it says that Jehu was in the tower of the palace, and she was thrown down onto the stones of the courtyard below, and some of her blood splattered on the wall. The horses trampled her. And when the people went to bury her, they found nothing except her skull, her feet, and the palm of hands. Because the dogs had completely eaten and licked up her blood. When Jesus was on the cross and haunted 
by the taunting voices of his accusers. Psalm 22.16 says he was surrounded by dogs. You can't have a worse view of yourself than being a dog. But God was about to change all of that. Enter David, who is a picture of God's heart for you and for me. Enter God's favor, which is about to forever change Mephibosheth's life. Enter covenant love, which is about to execute one of the greatest reversals we can ever have in our lives. The reversal of how we see and feel about ourselves. We see ourselves one way, others people see it another. Maybe some of you have seen the Dove commercial. I urge you to Google it after the sermon, not right now. Go on to YouTube. Dove commercial, and it's the powerful three-minute clip about how we see ourselves versus how other people see us. But the most important is how God sees us because he can back it up. So as Mephibosheth is standing before him, David says to him, Do not be afraid, for I will assuredly show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Then two things. Number one, I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, And number two, you yourself shall eat at my table regularly. Now remember that Mephibosheth lived in the house of Maker, lived in the house of Saul. But there's another meaning there in that that house was a picture of the house of the devil. We live in a house of a thief where things are stolen. Our life is stolen, our strength is stolen, our destiny is stolen, our joy is stolen. But David said, I'm restoring, Mephibosheth, everything, your inheritance to you, all your father and your grandfather's goods. No longer will you feel like everything in your life was taken or sold. What the locust and cankerworm have eaten, I will restore. Now, at this point in the story, I want to cut away to the New Testament and connect it to a story in Mark chapter 2. Again, if you've been Logging on on Wednesday nights or in cell groups, you know, we spend a few weeks talking about the paralytic in Mark chapter 2, whom I affectionately refer to as Reuben. It's a great story. I encourage everyone to read it. But we learn two things happened to the paralytic in Mark chapter 2. Number one, he was healed of his lameness. And number two, he was forgiven of his sins. Now, everyone cheered when he was healed in his legs, but it was the second miracle that created a ruckus. Because all the religious leaders were offended when Jesus said to the paralytic that he could be forgiven of his sins. But Jesus didn't care that he started a near riot. Jesus so loved the paralytic, he gave him a second blessing, a greater blessing. Not only would he get healed in his body, he would be restored to God. His sins would be forgiven. Jesus was pouring out favor upon favor to this paralytic. So we come back to Mephibosheth and we see that he too is going to experience these same two miracles. The first is that Mephibosheth's lameness gets healed. David, in effect, was saying to him, Mephibosheth, what you could not supervise, what you could not oversee, you were not able to till the land of your grandfathers. It doesn't matter. I'm giving it all back to you. And I'm assigning Ziba, your grandfather's servants with his 15 sons to work the land for you and to bring in bountiful produce. I've canceled the liability of your disability. You will be fruitful forever. It's as if you were never lame regarding 
the potential and productivity of your life. The second thing that David said to him is, you're going to eat at my table. As if the first blessing wasn't enough to receive royal land, to get it back. As if that wasn't enough, David then heaped on even more favor, like a mountain of garlic mashed potatoes. And David gave Mephibosheth a second blessing by saying, you shall eat at my table. Now, of course, to eat at the king's table would be amazing. Best food, best wine, best desserts, the best service, fine linen, your goblets being continually topped off, the freshest of the fresh, the best chefs. But besides the great banquet at every meal, here is the kicker. Mephibosheth was not just invited to the table as a guest, but as a son of the king. It says in verse 11 that he ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth, who was now, who thought of himself as a dog, was now at the king's table and he ate as the king's son. That's how deep David's covenant with Jonathan was. Now, David's sons could have been easily jealous and said, this guy doesn't belong here. And they would have been right. But that's not how God's favor works. If God wants to favor someone outside the family, he will do it. And he does. This is what happens every time we give our lives to Jesus Christ. God says, yep, you're at my table now. Others may say, wait, they don't belong here. But God says, wrong. They belong here next to you and next to me. They're part of the covenant that I have made with Jesus, and I will show my full favor to anyone that is part of Jesus' house. What Mephibosheth must have felt, his mind must have just been short-circuiting, and yet it was happening. The favor of God was right in front of him. He could see it. He could smell it. He could eat it. It was that real. But the favor of God doesn't end there. There's a double kicker. There is the greater blessing that David gave Mephibosheth, just like Jesus did with the paralytic. Whenever Mephibosheth pulled up for a meal and put his legs under the table, his lameness was covered. In the sight of the king, it was gone. Friends, that's the favor that I'm preaching to your inner man today. In the sight of God, when you're at his table, your lameness is covered. The king doesn't see it. Do you know how powerful that is? Do you know, understand how redeeming that is? Now, David could have called Nathan the prophet in and said, Hey, pray for Mephibosheth. Look at his legs. He needs to be healed. And if he was healed, Mephibosheth would have felt worthy then to sit at the table. In, Luke, in Leviticus 21, the Bible says specifically that priests that were lame or deformed or disfigured could not serve in the temple. So there was this natural bias in Hebrew culture against people that had handicaps. And so that just added more shame to Mephibosheth. And so if Nathan came and prayed for him and he got healed, Mephibosheth would have been, all right, it's all good. I can sit at the king's table now. But that's not what David did. He said, Mephibosheth, sit at my table with your lameness because I will cover you. 
I love you whether you're lame or not. I love you whether you're crippled or not. I love you whether you've been dropped in this life or not. You don't have to make yourself good enough. I make you good enough. I've got you covered, literally. And I don't see your lameness anymore. This is the power of the cross. This is covenant love. This is kindness redefined in a way that we can barely fathom. And whether you're a Christian or not, I'm preaching the favor of God to you this morning. Not to your mind, but to your inner man. This is where God wants you to experience Him in your heart of hearts. I'm going to close in prayer here. And then I'm going to show a one-minute clip after this prayer time. Father, we know that King David is famous for so many stories. Goliath, playing the harp, being a writer of the Psalms, being a shepherd, being a lover of your word. But amidst all the headlines, God, a gem is right here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we see how David's love towards Mephibosheth was such a powerful picture of your love for us. We feel like Mephibosheth. We feel like we can't make it. We feel like we're not good enough. We feel like we're living in a house of shame. But it matters not to you. Because in Jesus, you invite us to dine with you. You invite us to be part of the family. You invite us to be sons and daughters of God. And no matter what we bring into the house, no matter what is in us, when we pull up to the table, it's all covered in Jesus Christ. And this morning, maybe you've been considering Christ. Maybe some friends have been speaking to you. Maybe you've been reading the Bible. <coughs> and maybe your thoughts have been turning more and more towards could this be true. Friend, I want to tell you it's true. God loves us unconditionally. And you can receive the joy of being a son and daughter. And if you want that for your life, just say, Jesus, come into my life right now. Jesus, come into my life right now. It's that simple. And if you mean it with all your heart, you have become a child of God. For those of us that have struggled even becoming a Christian but struggling with just our identity and how we're a Mephibosheth and how we feel lame and how we always feel dropped in life, that we are damaged goods. God comes to redeem and to restore and to say, it matters not that you come to my house as damaged. I will completely heal and redeem you. And so God, let this truth come deep into our hearts and deep into our spirits. We thank you for your great favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to run this little clip for you. Um, you can just, it, it's a video of a mom singing good, good father to her little boy. It's only a minute long, and just wait for it. And so um, if our media team could just activate that clip. who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you, it's who I am.
It's who I am. It's who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I wanted to show this clip. Because that's what the truth of love, lo what the truth of God's love is meant to do for us. But this song went straight, went, went straight to the baby's spirit, bypassed his mind, and touched him in his innermost parts. And that's how I want you to receive the message today: is to let the favor of God go straight to your inner man. What Rich shared with us today speaks so much of what Jesus' gospel was about. It's not how we see ourselves, but how God sees us through his son, Jesus. A lot of the times we, we look at our, our sins, we look at our faults, we look at our identity, we look at our upbringing, we look at the, the things that shape and mold us into the person that we are. But those things that shape and mold us also bring out some of our insecurities, some of our pride, some of our um, just wrong ways of seeing ourselves. That when we look at what God has done on the cross for us, sometimes we understand that that grace was given to us. However, what sometimes our issue isn't not, isn't that we don't see the grace, is that we know that God has given us grace, but we find it difficult to extend that grace to ourselves. But here's the important thing, is that we need to be able to extend that same grace to ourselves so that we can extend that grace to those that are around us. You see, that is what the gospel is about. It is not only um, being able to see us in light of who Jesus is, because when Jesus died on the cross, his righteousness came upon us. Therefore, we are sons and daughters. And so because of that, God sees us as son and daughter because of Jesus' righteousness. It's not anything that we've done, but it's what Jesus has done on the cross. And so when we start looking at the favor that God gives us, it's because God's giving it to us because of what his son has done. Just like the story that Rich has told us. That favor was given because he was Jonathan's son. It wasn't anything that he did, but it's because of what of the relationship that he had with his, with his father. And so for us to be able to have that relationship with God, our father, Jesus died on the cross for that. Jesus died so that his righteousness comes upon us. And when his righteousness came upon us, God sees you as son and daughter. And that is your identity. That is who you are. And that is the favor that comes upon you. That is what speaks to your inner man. It isn't 
everything else that has shaped you. It isn't your past, it isn't your future, it isn't, your, it isn't even your present. It is Jesus that shaped you. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this message. This is the gospel message. This is the message of good news that has come upon us, that we are no longer sinners, but we are righteous because of your son, Jesus. So Lord, may you remind us of our identity. May you remind us of the position and the posture that we have as we come before you. So Lord, as we worship you today, as we give our praise and as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, may you remind us of the identity that we have and just speak to our inner heart and speak to our inner man. So Lord, extend that grace to us. Let us receive that grace so that we can extend that same grace to others. We thank you. We love you. We give all praise and honor to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.